the results always are positive. And even if you are not expecting anything in return, just what you're going to get back is always you know, something amazing to learn and to keep you in track on the path. Hello, yogis and friends. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 34 with none other than beloved yoga teacher around NYC, Yoshio Hama. It's funny, Yoshio, before we got on this call, when we were setting up and coordinating the interview, he was very concerned about being able to find his words in English. It's not his native language. But as you can see from the length of this episode, he had no trouble coming up with plenty of things to say. And it's all beautiful. You know, and I think the key here is exactly the topic of this week's interview, Purity of Heart. That's the title of the episode, and it's also a very key message in what Yoshio is sharing on this podcast and and out in the world in his yoga classes and elsewhere. We talk quite a bit about um, the idea of sharing from Purity of Heart and what that can create in your life. If it's true, if it's authentic, if it's genuine, that's when you get all of those positive results and amazing opportunities that he spoke on in that little clip at the beginning of the show. But that's not all we talk about. This is a wide-ranging conversation, and Yoshio shares of the yamas and niyamas which two to prioritize so that all others fall into place. He also talks about why it's impossible to make other people happy, but there's a subtle shift in intention you can make to reduce suffering of other people and yourself. We also talk about what happened when Yoshio stopped sampling different yoga lineages, which he was doing for many years, and dedicated himself fully to a singular practice and singular teacher. That was Sri Dharma Mitra. And finally, we talk about why Yoshio occasionally pretends to fall out of yoga poses and why it's so critical to add the words, I don't know, to your vocabulary as a teacher. Yoshio is a very highly requested interview. I've been hearing from a lot of you that wanted to have me on the show, so I'm really excited for you guys to check this out. It was such a pleasure for me to talk to Yoshio, and I know you're going to love it. So stick around through these announcements, and we'll dive right into this interview with Yoshio Hama. Yogis, I've got some upcoming travel and workshop dates that I hope that you can join me for. If you live in New York, there's one installment left in my Backbending for Health and Joy workshop series at Yoga Fitness Herald Square. That's November 10th. Later in November, my wife Veronica and I are traveling down to Richmond, Virginia, my hometown, and I'll be teaching at the Yoga Dojo, and the two of us will both be teaching at Hot Yoga Richmond. Lastly, dates for California will be posting soon. I'm really excited about that too. So details for all of those events now and upcoming are on henrywins.com events. Go there and sign up. At Lighthouse Yoga School in Brooklyn, New York, we are currently enrolling our next 200-hour teacher training for January 2019. So yoga teachers looking to level up your teaching, aspiring yoga teachers who want to do your first training, or yoga students who just want to 
take their practice a little bit deeper. You can get more information about that also at henrywins.com slash events. And if you apply now using my referral code, henrywins, you'll save $100 on your tuition. There's no fee to apply, so go ahead, put your application in, drop the referral code, and lock in $100 off. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I've got my friend Yoshio Hama for the interview. Yoshio started practicing yoga in Caracas, Venezuela in 1999. Between 1999 and 2008, he had the opportunity to study vinyasa yoga, ashtanga yoga, partner yoga, and Iyengar yoga method under the guidance of different yoga instructors. In 2008, he came to New York and started his new life. He found his guru, Sri Dharma Mitra, and aligned himself to a new spiritual family. Now he spreads the teachings of Dharma and the light of yoga around NYC, guiding students to the path of righteousness. Yoshio, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Um, been trying to work out a time to get you on here, and you are a very, very highly requested interview guest. So um, I know there are going to be a lot of listeners happy to hear you on the show. How are you tonight? Good. Thank you, Henry. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here, you know, in the program. I feel honored and I really appreciate, you know, you keeping in mind to participate, participate in this program. Thank you so much. Oh, the pleasure is all on this side of the microphone, Yoshio, honestly. Um, let's, let's dive into the interview. I start every one of these conversations with the same question, um, and that question is this. What does the word dharma mean to you, and what is your dharma as you understand it today? Well, you know, like the word dharma for me, it means that the essence of our own true nature. Some people interpret it like our duty, but you know, as a human beings, I feel is how you know we serve others efficiently in a you know in a right way by doing you know the best we can without causing any harm i think you know one of the good you know principles of ahimsa like try to don't create discomfort or no harming you know others or cause others to harm too so and i i think you know my dharma at this point of my life it's a little blend in between, you know, be a householder, be a father, a husband, and also, you know, a yoga instructor. I love it. It's, you know, something that I really enjoy too much. Just share, you know, that beautiful path that have been bringing me a lot of, you know, skills to, you know, continue in the, in the path, see? Mm -hmm. to continue in this life. So, and yeah. I, I noticed that you mentioned it's about the essence of your true nature. Are, do you find that it's 
easy or difficult to bring that out when you focus your efforts on a specific task, whether it be, you know, your role as a husband, father, and householder, or as a yoga instructor? How, how do you find that, um, that challenge? Yeah, definitely is really challenge. <laughs> you know, it's really easy when you're on the top of your mat on your own, with just following instructions from a teacher. It's really easy to find your own true nature when you have some, you know, years practicing. But when you are in the daily practice, the real practice, like dealing with your kids, you know, in the subway when it's a rush hour, or when maybe a student don't follow instructions, <laughs> sometimes you face you know, that own true nature is a little bit difficult. It's a little bit steam. You cannot see it because the mind is really powerful. It's really louder. So you cannot really listen to your own true nature. You really have to concentrate and focus, you know, same way you do it on your mat and then breathe. Sometimes even close your eyes for a second and then, you know, return back to your own true nature and move from there. You be kind to your student that is not following instructions. Be kind to your kids. It's not, you know, follow, you know, the task or whatever they need to do. You know, or even on the subway, someone push you instead of, you know, scream or react in a violent way to, you know, breathe and then, you know, give them a chance to move. So I think it's really challenge. You know, even as a New Yorker, now I haven't lived in 10 years. I found really challenged, but I think that's the constant practice and the real practice, be on track with this, you know, way of behave. Mm. That basically yamas and yamas, right? You know, we have to, you know, keep yamas and yamas as our daily practice. You don't need to be on the top of a mat. You don't need to be in a specific place. It's, and the daily, you know, activities, we have to be in constant reflection, and be an example of, you know, the yamas and the yamas. You mentioned ahimsa, non-harming already. Is that one that you yeah. tend to put a lot of emphasis on in this practice? You know, that's what it is, a practice to be true to this code of conduct in the yamas and yamas. Is that one that you find to be um, particularly important or particularly top of mind in your day-to-day? Yeah, I think, you know, since I started, you know, receive Dharma's, Dharma Mitra's teachings, he really emphasized, you know, in Ahimsa and Isvana Pranidhana. And I found really powerful this, you know, from Yamas, Ahimsa and Yamas, Isvana Pranidhana. If you have both perfectly in a constant reflection and indeed try to you know, follow them, the rest follow apart. Hmm. And I found like Ahimsa, you know, in the beginning, sometimes for people, you know, even when they go to, you know, Dharma's class, found really challenge, you know, become, become vegan or even vegetarian. But I often say to the people that still working on, you know, change their diet, they must do it, but gradually. But at least in the beginning, don't create discomfort in others. Whatever action we involve people, we have to make sure we don't create discomfort. And if we do so, we have to have the willpower and the determination to, you know, apologize, you know, to 
make sure that if we make a mistake, you know, make up those mistakes. And gradually, because we moderate, you know, the way we eat, so we will be able to control also what we say, you know, and then try to, you know, create more comfort in the people who are close to us. That makes total sense. Um, on the one hand, or the first point that you made is you can't dive into any drastic lifestyle change too quickly because if you set the standard too high for yourself and you miss the mark, then it's very easy to throw your hands up in the air and give up on it entirely. But if you can gradually transition yourself into a change, you hit these little milestones along the way and recognize, oh, look what I was able to do with my commitment and my discipline, and that will propel you forward even more. Um, so that I think is a great tip for anyone who's interested in transitioning into a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle or make any other kind of change in your life. And then yeah. the, sec the second Definitely. point that you made was if you can recognize the discipline that you developed and harness that ability for other um, other experiences, then you can start to control your impulses and the way you interact with other people and generate more happiness and cooperation. Is that right? Yeah, at least I think at the beginning we can say like comfort. comfort. We please people, we make, make people feel comfortable. Sometimes we, we cannot really make people happy because, you know, even that external happiness is not permanent. In reality, when we study in a deep level, you know, the practice of yoga, we find the real happiness deep within us. So it's not depending from others. It comes from deep within. But at least, at least for me, it sounds very, like in a way like create more comfort. Like you make the people feel a little bit more like comfortable in a situation so you can have a discussion and then, you know, argue together and then also put your standpoint on the top and then the other person and listen others too. You know? So I think, you know, then by you knowing people a little bit more, their tendencies or, you know, like for example, in a marriage, so you can start to, you know, create a little more external happiness, you know, with a, a good meal, with a good action, you know. But I think on the beginning, at least, I would say, just try to create comfort, even with an exchange people that you first meeting, or even on the subway, someone that push you because they're in a rush. They even don't notice you. They are harming you or create discomfort. So how you can create comfort, comfortable feelings for them? Okay, just step on the side and allow them to move faster as they want, and then you continue instead of block their, you know, their way. So because it's really often we were, we we are really impulsive, right? Okay. So I, I think that's at least what I feel about Ahimsa. Just reflecting and think about how as the householders we can face it in the beginning of our journey is just create comfort. Create and comfort. then eventually we go in, in, in like all the yamas and the yamas, we go in a subtle level. 
I create comfort, so then you start to think about in a subtle level, okay, maybe, you know, I have to moderate the way I talk. Maybe in the beginning it's better, don't talk, <laughs> because you cannot control your way of speaking. You know, you, the, the way you speak is, is not really under control, so it's better to close your mouth. <laughs> but then, gradually, you control, you moderate, you are more self-control, so you, the words that come out are a little bit more gentle, you know, people feel more comfortable, uh, you know, agreeable, you say in English? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, but, but, you know, and then, you know, as I, as I mentioned, go more into a meditation and then observe your tendencies and try to, you know, make up and go in a subtle way. It's like reading the same passage of the Bhagavad Gita or the Dhammapada over and over and over, or do the same pose for years and years and years. You go in a subtle level, maybe in the physical plane, the muscles are joined, then in the mental plane, your thoughts, and then even on the spiritual plane. See? Mm-hmm. And same, I think, you know, with the yamas and the yamas, it happened the same. And because the things on your life change, your sadhana change too, you know, and uh, we really start to d- go deeper on the practice of, you know, ahimsa that we are talking about. But definitely, I think, you know, ahimsa and isvana pranidana, I totally agree with Dharma Mitra. Uh, if you practice them in a really subtle level with serious commitment, you don't have to worry about the rest. You okay. Don't create. Mm-hmm. You, you you spoke a little bit about how we can incorporate ahimsa ahimsa into our day to day life. Maybe you give, you know, the rushed person on the subway the benefit of the doubt and just let them go by and create that comfort feeling for them. What about Ishwar Pranidana? First of all, can you give like a basic definition for those listeners who might not be um, as well-versed as you in the niyamas and yamas, what that means? And then how can we start to practice that? Okay. Well, Isvana Pranidana is do things as an offering without expecting anything in return, which is also really challenging our society. You know, we always, you know, do a work and then you many times think about, you know, the, the, the payroll check or, 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 you know, what you're going to get in return. You know, that's the, the tendency of the mind, the nature of the mind. See, you please someone and then you're expecting that person feel happy or say something to you or you teach an amazing class and you're expecting the student say something to you. But in reality, then when you just do things as an offering. You are not expecting anything in return. So become a real act or, you know, of love or a devoted action. This is an act of devotion. Like, let's say you, you surrender to the Lord. Like, you know, I love this word of Dharma Mitra, you know, surrender to the Lord. Like, you really realize that this is something that you do it because it has to be done. There is no like thoughts in between. It's just you realize, like we were talking about your our dharma. Okay, this is something it should be done. No matter what, I will get it done. You know, this is for the world peace. This is for universal love. This is, you know, 
to make the people understand or for stop suffering and pain in the in the world. So I, no matter what, I will do it, even if it costs a lot of discomfort or painful feelings in my own. I will do it just to seek that you know feelings in others people. See? Mm-hmm. So even, you know, sometimes you have to do austerities and unpleasant things to experience a lot of tapas and then you have to expect anything in return from that because, you know, the, pure, the purity of heart, when you do things with purity of heart, the results are always positive. And I think, you know, Isana Pranayana, somehow, when you renounce other fruits, you do things with purity of heart. You know, you don't have to worry about anything else. You know, you don't have to worry about money. You know, somehow it comes to you in the right time. You don't have to worry about the right company because the right person going comes to you in the right time. See? And sometimes, you know, like, it's complete perfectly, according to your karma, of course. But, you know, I think these kind of things follow the rules of the yoga practice. Purity of heart, surrender to the law, or do things as an act of offering. You know, the results always are positive. And even if you are not expecting anything in return, just what you're going to get back is always, you know, something amazing to learn and to keep you in track on the path. And that's the trick, right? You know, you can't be doing these things and expecting some kind of exchange because when you do that, that breaks the system. You know, you only get what you give when it's coming from that purity of heart, just like you said. Yeah, you know, if you have always um, some feelings or thoughts, you know, behind, then that's what you're going to receive sooner or later because a lot of comments say that. And this is something also that is really important to always be in a constant reflection. You know, since I started with Dharma Mitra, I always, you know, try to daily reflect about the loss of karma because then it makes sense. You know, like you have to act, you have to move with purity of heart. Otherwise, what you obtain sooner or later, what you get sooner or later, it will come to you, you know, the same way you, you give it. So if you do it with purity of heart, what you receive will be the same. So, you know, I think it's a really important practice. You know, when we really establish in Isvana Pranidana, definitely, you know, things come really fluently, really smooth, and then allows you to stay in the path, in the spiritual path, you know, in a way like with a righteous and, and commitment, with serious commitment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I can totally see how those two pieces, the Ahimsa and the Ishvara Pranidana, can lay the foundation for everything else to sort of click into place. It's a matter of, of priority. Um, but Yoshio, I want to go back and hear a little bit more about your personal story. So I, I mentioned in your little intro that uh, you had practiced a lot of different styles of yoga and gotten clearly very interested in the practice. But when you came to New York, you immediately fell into place um, underneath your teacher, Sri Dharma Mitra. So what, what happened there? Like, how did you, when you first came to the Dharma Yoga Center, 
how did you react to, or how, what was your response to meeting Dharma? And how did you know that this was the person that you wanted to align yourself with and study with? Well, that was, you know, something like, I even maybe cannot describe, you know, how amazing it was in words, even because my English, I'm, I apologize in advance because my English is not really well. It's really basic, but I try to do my best. But You're doing great. As I, as, <laughs> as I say, like, you know, it was amazing because many things before you know, entering Dharma's studio, the old place in 23rd Street, 3rd Avenue, you know, when we first arrived there, before that, we, you know, received from our students, you know, the posture, the 608 book of poses, Dharma, the friends of all, the other book that uh, a great uh, disciple of Dharma write about his story. And it was really interesting because we came here to New York with the idea to, you know, study with all different teachers and masters. But somehow, the first studio we get, it was Dharma Mitra Studio. You know, a lot of students bring us a lot of information from him. So we decided to touch his door first. And when we climb up the stairs, it was in the third floor and the old studio, as soon as I opened the door with my wife. It was like, a, wow, we both see each other and we say like, oh, this is like home. Even if we, if we have a home here, we, you know, departure from Venezuela, I say, oh my, you know, like material things. I just came with a bag. I don't have home. I don't have anything. But it feels that we opened the door like it was home. And then, you know, Duke was, the man that received us, we was in touch with him in, by email, and he received us. Oh, you are Joshua Mariana, welcome. You know, without telling him anything. It was like he was, he know us from before. It was really, you know, an amazing and really strange sensation that I never experienced before. And from that time then, you know, we took Dharma's class and it was an amazing feeling like stay on his, you know, it's under his instructions, under his guidance, and feel something beyond the physical and the mental plane. Like the, his instructions touch you, or at least touch us in a level of really subtle, like, way. And from that time, we decide, like, not even go to any other studio. Like, really focus on the on his teachings and master, you know, Dharma Yoga's way. And then I really, you know, like I didn't uh, practice anything else at least for five years. I touched other studios because I was working there. The people, you know, when I finished my first teacher training, people started to call me. It was some wonderful people around. I really thank them. If they're here in the program, I really, you know, thanks all of them to help me. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't have that interest anymore to master in all different styles. I really want to focus on Dharma's teaching and the way he shared the knowledge of self-realization beyond the poses, beyond even the pranayamas. It was how he 
introduce you into the path of self-realization. Mm. So and, how did your how did your practice change as a result of that single pointed focus? Because before that you had been, you know, testing the waters in a lot of different lineages and styles. What happened when you decided, okay, we're going to just stay here and really do this yoga under this teacher and and listen to what he says and try to put all of that into practice? Yeah, you know, it was like a totally devotion, like like Israna Franiana surrounded to the Lord. It was like a, you know, kind of feeling, you know, somehow to sense like he can manifest, he's a manifestation or a portion of manifestation of God because his purity, it was so like easy to, to feel it. He, you know, his way to share things, he was so pure. So I was totally surrounded to his teachings. I didn't, you know, myself, I was really trying to do things the way he instructed physically, the way he instructs mentally how to think, and even spiritually, the, you know, the assignments he always put you to reflect on. his daily, and also study, you know, all his postures. I was really try and keep the determination to mastering, you know, Dharma Yoga. And uh, it was really kind of interesting result because somehow I end up, you know, being, solving him, uh, have you know, the lucky or somehow karmatically deserve to be next to him, travel sometimes with him, and then stay really close to him. And it's really interesting because somehow his lineage is not like talking too much. We don't talk too much, but just spend time next to him silently and be, you know, open and receptive. This is very important when he said be receptive. Your receptivity through his teachings, allows you to receive what you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, love no that. I love that mantra of his. <laughs> you know, he often ends the class with that, with that little line, just be receptive or be receptive to the grace of God. It's right, yeah. such an important reminder for all of us. And I, and I also agree with you 100% about being able to feel his energy when you're around. I mean, just the other day, we were in class together over there at the, the Dharma Yoga Center. And I came in a little bit late. You know, I missed the sun salutation and I put my mat down on the outskirts of the room. And he just walked over and he, you know, signaled for me to step off my mat. And then he pulled it over, over next to him in front of the, the projection board. And so I got to be, you know, right next to him for the whole class. And it's a special feeling. And it's not just like, oh, I was chosen. It doesn't really matter like if people are looking at me or if I'm visible or not. But I could I could feel him and his joy and just the um the lightness, the levity that he brings to every single one of his classes. And it and it transmits over to you. You can feel it in your practice one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very special, you know, being his presence and, you know, and his enthusiasm. He's almost 80 years. Next year, he turned to it. So I think it's a great example to follow. For me, it was also a realization by the time I spent, like, my first monthly, like, uh, uh, package. How you say, like, a membership. I don't yeah. know how to say it. And then, you know, it was a realization. Wow, this is... You know, something that I want to like follow, 
you know, he has kids, he has a granddaughter, he runs, you know, the studio for many, many years almost, you know, since, you know, he departed from the ashram. He has really determined to spread, you know, the teachings from his guru to the people here in New York. So it's such an amazing, uh, you know, example. And then still, after 50 years, sharing, feel his enthusiasm, uh, his, you know, like, sense of humor, like, his playful way, you know. And even now that the classes, you know, sometimes are more difficult, sometimes more simple, but always is there the sense of humor, the enthusiasm, and, the, you know, that positive, angry determination, you have to do it because it's, you know, it has to be done. So, you know, I think this is something amazing, you know, to just watch by itself. Mm-hmm. Even if you are practicing or watching, sometimes I, I don't practice during the trainings, I have to assist him. And it's amazing just to watch from outside, you know, it's, wow, it's something really admirable. You know, that hopefully we as yoga teachers can get into a year or so and be, you know, in a big city sharing, you know, these kind of things with people. Because this is the right place that people need a lot of yoga. Yes. <laughs> sometimes in the mountain yeah. when everything is quiet and nice, people are really polite. You know, probably the yoga is already, in, in, you know, on the air. But here in New York, sometimes it's hard to find it. Right. So right. it's really a grateful, you know, or a blessed to have someone that still has, through all these years, the same enthusiasm and the same will to keep moving people into self-realization and into the path of yoga. Yeah, so and also to, also to inspire other people to carry the torch like yourself. You know, you're totally dedicated to this man and his teaching and you know he couldn't he couldn't do it alone it's it's through inspiring other people to teach as well that that really he has the most impact so that kind of brings me to my next question which is is this yoshio have you ever in your time since working with dharma and being around him and assisting him what's like the biggest struggle that you've come up against um, has it ever been a challenge to well i'll just leave it at that what what struggles have you come up against? Uh, but you mean struggles like being with working with him or in my life? Either. I mean, I think it's hard to separate these things, and especially considering how big a piece of your life he really is. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because. You know, I think one of the biggest struggling, but the most beautiful things that happen in my life is become a householder, you know, get married and then have a, a kid and, you know, struggling with the regular people. Like, you know, you have a little argue with your spouse, a little argue with your kids, and then sometimes your ego taking place and you want to, you know, them do something that you want, but at the end, you know, you are not really place yourself in them. And, you know, finally, when you go to your practice and reflect, you know, try to, you know, understand them, then you understand a little bit more compassion and then you apologize and make up. And I think, you know, it still is a lot of struggling because, you know, every single 
you know, change of your kids and your marriage is a new step and a new challenge. But somehow it's a commitment. When you become a parent, you cannot release your commitment. You commit no. for your entire life. That's a commitment and for life. Somehow I, yes, and somehow I feel the same with the marriage. Like, I cannot break it. Some people may think, oh, I may get divorced and that's it. But, you know, it's somehow I face it a little bit differently. And I think it's a lifetime commitment. You have ups and downs. You have to, you know, deal with that. And, you know, try to make it, you know, gradually more comfortable or at least, you know, become more friendly and then, you know, try to solve the problem with your intelligence, with the knowledge of your I think it's a blessing somehow for us, even if we struggle a lot as householders, we just have the tool or the knowledge of yoga and the practice, daily practice, allow us to solve the problem with another, you know, skills and with some other results that regular people for sure struggle a lot at home, you know, maybe in the beginning of the marriage is like a honeymoon for two or three years, but then <laughs> the real marriage starts, <laughs> you know, when, when, when you struggle with a lot of stuff and then, and then you have to be a friend, you have to really practice compassion. So, yeah. but for us, it's, it's a bless because we have, you know, the chance to sit and reflect and face our own tendencies, face the other's tendencies as an individual's, you know, entities, and then place ourselves in them and then gradually keep practicing ahimsa and create comfort. You are not thinking about your, your feelings or create more comfort on your own desires or your own needs. You try to create more comfort on them, their needs. And I think this is still a a big challenge that we have to deal daily, 24-7, you know, when you're exposed with your kids and even as a teacher too. Now, because sometimes as a teacher, you become a confidence for your students. Yeah. They you know, talk to you, they say to you things that probably no one else knows. And then sometimes you have to just be a, a, a good ears and don't say anything because you don't have the answer. <laughs> but at least you listen to them. And, and, and they may not even be looking for an answer. They just want a place to be able to speak, a place of non-judgment. And, right. and, and you can create that space and just be that ear. Yes, and I think this is another part, you know, when we become a teacher, so the people start to, you know, feel like, oh, this is the guy, I want to solo. We have to watch out because a lot of people try to ask you a lot of stuff, and then we try to always keep, you know, or pretend we have an answer, and sometimes it's really important, you know, to stay quiet or say, I don't know, or send them to someone that's have a little more experience because we can influence them in not in a good direction mm-hmm. because not necessarily our tendencies are the same that them. Sometimes it may work because you realize, oh, this student have the same tendencies like me. 
I can easily see when I was there, or, or I can see it's, it's a reflection. But sometimes you recognize there are different, so that's a moment, you know, like we really have to listen and then probably, you know, like stay quiet or say, I don't know, or send, you know, most of the time I send my students when they ask something that I am not able, go to them. <laughs> right, right. Go to him. <laughs> go to Dharma. Because I say to them, even if you don't talk to him, you will get the answers by taking his class. Mm-hmm. Something psychically put you in the right place. Yeah. Because he's an enlightened being, he's a manifestation of the divine by itself. At least I see it this way. And many times the people say, oh, thank you. It was amazing. You cannot imagine. And I say, I'm always really happy. You know, sometimes I see the room full of my students. Before going to them, I, they were my students, private students, like like collective class students. And I'm really happy because now they're following someone that can guide them in a better way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it sounds like I feel by going back to the to the question, it's always, you know, all our, you know, our practices, you know, creates a, a level of struggling that we have to always be like a witness and watch out when we have to be more silent, when we have to cooperate and follow instructions or when we have to keep a line and then say something. Right. And if you're not struggling, then what are you practicing? Right? Yeah. In a human form, I think this is (laughs) always a way that it's going to be, you know, the, Somehow, you know, our, you know, karma and our dharma function in a way that tests us, in a way to see if we are really in the path, if we are, if we are staying in the, in, the, in the constant practice, in a constant observation to continue, you know, because it's really easy sometimes to go away from the path. Because we are not listening, you know, our own nature, we listen to our ego, we listen to our own tendencies, the tendency of the mind and the body, and not paying attention to, you know, the real, real self. And this is only coming by, you know, constant practice, holding the poses longer for those who are more physically, or maybe do a long retention of breath, or a long sitting meditation, or for more those are more devoted, you know, chanting to the Lord for hours, or those are more like, you know, in a way of action and karma yoga to serve others, even if they are lawyers and nurses, you know, keep in a constant service. I think this allows us to, you know, become more humble, to listen more, and then to be more like efficiently helpers or you know a vehicle to manifest the divine to help others to stay on the track. Mm-hmm. And somehow, Yoshio. you know, I think mm-hmm. no go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, so I was saying like somehow, you know, all these manifestations or tendencies or 
different type of practice bring us into the same point. Right. I love one of Dharma's phrases. He, he say, different roads, same destination. And all these practices are leading you to that point. Do you mean that everyone has the same point or no matter which road you take, your point, your individual point is the same? Yes, yes. Yes, like, you know, self-realization. You can, you know, be a football player. You can be, you know, a nurse, a doctor, a yoga teacher, a householder, a man, you know. But if you really, you know, realize what's your dharma indeed, what's, you know, the next step and being a constant observation to keep moving forward, you can become self-realized. And so it's no matter what role you take, same if you do bhakti yoga, karma yoga, hatha yoga, you know, it's always the same, you know. You take different roles, but you get to the same destination. Of course, with a constant practice, yeah, with a constant practice and determination. Otherwise, <laughs> it may take you know long, long, long time, or like many lifetimes. Many but, lifetimes. <laughs> but yeah, but I think you know it, it, it's beautiful because somehow, like I agree with Dharma. Like he say, when you start yoga in a human form, you have been living for many lifetimes. And uh, somehow it took a lot of work to you, get you here in, as far as you are. Yes. So somehow you carry the knowledge, some subconsciously or unconsciously, and you start to waking up. As much you do a hard practice, even if you like more asanas, you do really hard practice. Poof, and there is some of you can't become in a realization of it, your nature. Same if you chanting really. You know, devoted for hours and hours and hours, or you do your japa, or you, you know, do a lot of selfless work, somehow, poof, you reach the point. So I think it's an amazing, you know, opportunity, you know, for all of us that we are involved with the, that this beautiful practice to, you know, keep sharing and, you know, allow this inner divinity to manifest through constant practice. That's why I think tapas is really important. You know, harder work, create inner fire, angry determination. You know, that's why we practice a lot of austerities, fasting, hard poses. Well, I do retention. know. I do know because I've taken your class and it's very challenging. <laughs> so, Yoshio, I know that it's not just the students that you're putting in that position to practice that because it comes from your practice too. You've been working hard. You've had the dedicated discipline for many years. So I'm interested to hear, you know, maybe one more story about a signal that you've gotten that your work is not in vain. Like what is, what is something that you've been able to achieve or contribute as a teacher or as a householder that's made you feel like you are on the right path? Uh, well, that's a, a, a difficult one. <laughs> because you're so I modest. I don't know, you know, uh, well, I don't know. I think 
Maybe the, the good thing that comes to my mind is because you see the students come back to you. Yeah. yeah. Because I have been married for 14 years. You know, like, you know, you keep, you know, that commitment, you do your best, so no matter what. I think somehow, you know, this, like sometimes, you know, I always think in the morning when I practice hard, like, I think about my students. You know, like, I, I want to practice so, practice so hard whatever I'm doing or, or at least concentrate really sharp. And I think about them. Like, I want them to reach into the same place. And I'm, I'm not afraid they become better than me. Because I want to share with purity of heart the best that I have to them. And by the time they are ready to go to someone else that is better than me, just I allow them to go. I don't have any attachment. I don't want to create any attachment from them towards me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this is something like probably I would say is one of the most beautiful things that I may contribute as, as a yoga instruction that I will not try to create attachment to the teacher. I will try to create, you know, like, uh, like respect and then trust on the teacher and then inspire them to realize that this is the right thing to do, to stay in yamas and yamas. Do your poses, do your breathing, eat the right food, be, become vegan gradually. So you start to become in a subtle way more pure in your body, in your mind, and then you can really recognize the divinity in everyone and inside of you. But I'm still in, in, in the same path. I cannot say like I'm a, a realized human being. You know, I, I still make a lot of mistakes as a parent, you know, as a husband, as a teacher. But at least, you know, we have that beautiful enthusiasm to make up, to apologize and to allow, you know, people next to you to continue with you. I think what you said is, is a really beautiful sentiment about what we should be striving for, those of us who are teachers in our relationship to the students. You know, it's not about creating an authority dynamic where you are all the, always the one who holds the keys and information to pass on, but rather you're just sharing what you know and giving the best uh, of what you have so that that person can go on and surpass you, you know, let them take off, go in another direction, go the same direction, go further, but be there for unconditional support with no expectation of, of a return and no expectation of continuing to be the master. Yeah, it's, you know, so I think is is that's a, a big, you know, uh, like quality I like about Dharma talking about him again, you know, it's his humbleness, you know, how he shares things with purity of heart and, you know, how he really pushed you to the limit and somehow many times, you know, we can get even better than him. Sometimes, you know, even if you know you can do things better, I probably will not do it better than him at, in his class. <laughs> Just... <laughs> 
you know, to to respect him. You know, sometimes he joked, "Never do it better than the teacher." I know. <laughs> Always don't. <laughs> Always don't don't return again. <laughs> so, you know, it's like a joke. I think it's more the, the the feeling of move in the collective conscious. You have right. amazing skills, but you don't have to show off. And that's right. what I feel sometimes about like, you know, when I want to do crazy stuff, most of the time I do it on my own practice at home. Yeah. Or maybe if it's extremely necessary in a teaching workshop or a class when I have people losing track. So I have to show a little bit of the powers so to put them in track and to put them interested again on the practice. Yeah. But most yeah. of the time, like he say that 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 you know the prof, the profound message that he say is like just being the collective conscious. Like when he come out of a you know the studio, he dress like the typical guy, you know, a little pants, a t-shirt. He's not trying to show the entire world. He's a guru. He even sometimes don't wear his malabit, anything related with yoga, you know. So you see him, you don't know him, and it's. One, a common guy, you know. Yeah, so he's riding around on his Segway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's the same. Like when we move in a collective class, instead of show off, like you all have the amazing skills, you know, even as a teacher or as a, as a student, just move the col- with the collective. Sometimes you have a lot of advanced students next to you, so you move with that collective conscious. Sometimes you have more beginners, support them, show them a nice pose to stay comfortable instead of make it feel, make them feel a little bit embarrassed or like, you know, they feel a little bit less because they cannot approach. Yeah. Yeah. Intimidated. And even, you know, as a yoga teacher too, sometimes I love to pretend I do mistakes, you know, (laughs) during the class. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the students, feel like it's more approachable when you do things really perfectly they feel like you know like you're a little bit intimidated when you do things a little crooked and then you fall on purpose they say okay the teacher is crooked the teacher is falling i want to try yeah i can do that yeah yeah it's more approachable sometimes there are exceptions you have people that have more professional like a master class so you have to do things more clean more neat because they need to see, okay, the mastery of the transition of the pose is this. Now I want to challenge you because all of them are really professional. See? So I want to keep them something, you know, interesting. But most of the time in a regular basis, we have a lot of beginners. So it is important for them to feel comfortable too. And then we come back, you know, somehow to the ahimsa, create exactly. comfort. Creating comfort. And then and also in Svana Pranidana, I'm doing just because it has to be done, making mistakes. Because, you know, I'm not expecting anything in return if the people are going to tell, oh, that, that teacher is really mad. He's falling. No, the people know if you are good or not. Even if you fall, you pretend you're not. They will recognize if you're teaching from your heart. And that's what I think. It's not about if you do a perfect pose or you talk really wisely about this or that. It's if you're sharing, even with three words, with purity of heart, the people will feel, you know, that you're 
you know, you are a nice person and you, you are sharing good teachers, good teachings. Well, I love that you just brought it back completely full circle to the first few things that we talked about, you know, the, the priorities here in this day-to-day householder's life. Ahimsa, Isvara Pranidana, come from no harm, bring comfort, and do the act of service because it has to be done. So, Yoshio, I think now is the perfect time to move on to the final section of the interview. Each one of these conversations ends the same way. It's called the Prana Round. So in this Prana Round, I'm going to ask you six rapid-fire questions and ask you to answer in minimum one word. You can answer in just one word if you want, or maximum one sentence. Okay, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, let's do well, it. Hopefully, okay. I have the word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. First question. In one word, why do you practice yoga? In one word. Oh my God. That's. I would say purity. Purity. I love that. That's a great word. Okay. Next question. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? My favorite yoga pose is many people will laugh and raise hands then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why? Because on the beginning of my journey of asana practice, it was one, was one of the poses I, I felt it was on, like I couldn't reach. I felt like it was impossible for me to achieve the pose. And somehow, when I started to get it, it put me in the right place to focus. I was really distracted. I was like, in a, in, sometimes in a bad mood, you know, with things. I couldn't understand many things in life. I didn't have the, the right knowledge. And somehow, even before Med Dharma, you know, handstand teach me a lot of patient, humility, and then give me a self-control. So that's somehow what, I start to I yeah, I start to remove my fears, my insecurities through handstand. And that's why I always love my students to do handstand at least ten times each class. <laughs> Ten times the class. You heard it here. Okay. Next question, Yoshio. What is the single best cue or piece of advice? So, give me a general piece of advice you've ever received from a teacher. Well, I like once, you know, I was really good with my diet. You know, like, I think that was the first time I went to London with Dharma. And I was really, you know, commit with veganism, uh, almost raw, no sugar, no wheat, uh, like pasta, bread. You know, it was really like, like orthodox. And then Dharma noticing, and then he invited me for dinner, and then he ordered the food, and he ordered falafel with garlic, hummus, tahini, all kind of tabules and salads with onions. I didn't eat onion at that time and garlic. And then he asked me to eat all this food. (laughs) 
and then and then at the end, I, 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 you know, I, I, it was disgusting for me because I didn't like it. And then at the end, he said, "Don't be attached even to your food." Mm. Don't be attached even to your food. So you know, like I think attachment somehow in our practice is one of the things that put us always down. Mm-hmm. So somehow you achieve some level of higher point and then you're always afraid to fall or to show others that you, you know, like cannot go back. But somehow it's just the physical thought. It's just your mind. It's not yeah. the real you. So I think attachments is something like the clashes. You know, we have to watch out. So I think mm-hmm. that advice it really, you know, helped me a lot to really high understand. Don't be attached even to your food. Don't be attached even to your teacher. Don't be attached even to your, you know, achievements. Just, you know, be in the practice. And if you have to change things, because indeed you have to, just do it. Then you know the rules to follow to return back to that point. Right. And I think as a householder, I have been learning a lot that sometimes with my kid, I have to go to places because the birthday is in a pizza place. I don't eat pizza, I don't eat cheese, I don't eat bread, but I have to go there. Sometimes the people eat meat, sometimes the people drink beers. I don't do any of this kind of stuff, but I can sit in the table smelling all of this and then even conversate, have conversation with people, not about yoga, about regular things. So don't like try to influence them into the way that I'm doing. Just share with them. Yeah. And, you know. Just create just, comfort. Just, yeah. Yeah. Keep creating comfort and also feel comfortable with too. Yeah. Create comfort so for yourself even, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, that advice that Dharma gave me, you know, a couple of years ago, like, it really certifies something that has been helping me a lot as a householder, husband, as mm-hmm. a teacher, as a parent, to really, you know, like, don't worry about too much things. Yeah. Just do indeed what I have to do in that moment. And don't try to show others if I'm in a high place or lower place. Just be, you know, the way that I have to be for that moment. And I think it's a, a kind of way, a nice compassion practice because you try to be in the same level of, you know, the, the, the people are around you or staying track in the same symphony with the situation is around you. If, if the situation allows you to dance, so you dance. If the situation allows you to sing, you sing. If the situation allows you to cry, you cry. Or you, you stay silent. And listen, see. So I don't know. Think, you know, don't be attached to your teacher. Don't be. So try to gradually, you know, remove attachments and do things again, you know, as an act of offering, create comfort. Yeah, I don't know. In in yeah. few words, just remove attachments, but well, do we've... indeed what you have to do. Do what you have to do. Yeah, we've we've thr- totally thrown out the rules of the prana round, but I like to hear that story. So thanks for sharing. <laughs> okay, we'll keep going. Next question is 
recommend one book. It can be either modern or ancient for our listeners. Well, one of my favorite books is Dhammapala, is the teachings of Buddha. It's my favorite book. And I, I have it in audiobook because I'm not a good reader, an English re uh, reader. So I like to hear it over and over. So you really, instead of listening, you know, music, I always, you know, when I listen something, I put the recording and remembering Buddhist teachings, but always reflect and try to transfer those ancient teachings as a modern householder. And I think that's a good job because we are all in a different situation, different societies, different ages, see, different karma. So we have to adjust those Asian teachings to our condition, update those teachings. So it requires a little contemplation, listening over and over, or read it over and over, and then make it work for you. But yeah, this is one of my favorite books, Dhammapala. Dhammapala. And I also mm -hmm. love audiobooks. And even though I'm a native English speaker, I like audio too. Uh, yeah, okay. that is wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, next question. Is yoga for everyone? Yeah. You know, I, in general, the word yoga, you know, involves, you know, I, I would say like the entire creation. So somehow, even if you are not involved with poses, with breathing, chanting, you know, someone that, you know, going back to our first talking, someone is compassionate, that do things without expecting anything in return, it's definitely, you know, practicing yoga. Yeah. And somehow, I the broader, think in the, the, in the high point of, the broader the definition, yeah. the more inclusive it becomes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow it's like, you know, when I moved to this country, you know, in my country, there are different laws. But when, as I move here, I assume and, and I have to follow the rules. So somehow, like as a human beings to improve our condition, we have to follow some rules. And that kind of rules like yamas and yamas or the commandments or whatever you want to say in different religions and in cultures, you know, like is the basic practice that involves yoga. And, it, you know, you, like I was mentioned before, you can do it 24-7, even when you dream. Somehow, like when you start to be more conscious about your dreams, state of dreams, you start to control more your desires, and then you're still practicing yoga. You know, you become more self-control, you know, stop wandering. So I think yoga definitely, you know, if you practice in yamas and niyamas, you're practicing yoga. So everyone, every single person in this planet can practice yoga if you do yamas and niyamas. Last question. How can our audience get in touch with you, Yoshio, and how can we support you in your dharma? You know, practice, chant a lot, you know, to the Supreme Self, so we stay in connection, you know. And then if 
of course, if you want to come to, you know, the classes, I would love to have you. But, you know, we stay in connection. If you do your self-practice, if you come to class, you know, if we chant together daily. So, you know, we support each other. I think I would say, like, we need more support each other because we learn more, you know, sharing each other. So I love, you know, to interact with people. But I know it's a busy city. So definitely we support each other by doing our practice. No matter where is the practice, if you're doing your yamas and yamas on the subway, if you're doing your asana practice on the top of a mat, if you're chanting in 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 the shower, you know, if you're like talk kindly with your spouse and your kids, we are connected and we support each other. Well, Yoshio, I support you, and I really appreciate you supporting me in my yoga practice and through sharing your dharma on on the Dharma Talk podcast with me today. So thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much, Henry. It was my pleasure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to you know be in this amazing program. Thanks for the people who are, you know are listening and you know like. Definitely, you know, I'm on the surf, you know, whatever, you know, we're always connected psychically and of course physically and mentally too. So thank you so much again and, you know, have a beautiful night and we'll be always in touch. If you got something out of this episode, if you like Dharma Talk and want to keep it going, please do me a huge favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. I know it's not the most convenient thing to do, but it makes all the difference in getting the show out there and more visible to other people who can benefit from it. And hey, if you've got feedback or ideas or you want to get in touch with me, you can do that on Instagram at Henry Wins. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. And until then, keep living your dharma.